Welcome, patriots. We have a lot to cover, lots going on in the world today. We're in the midst of the longest, most unsatisfying, I told you so, but there's hope on the horizon. If it's in your sights, it's on my radar. We'll be airborne shortly. Welcome, Patriots. This episode of Raven's Radar is going to be epic. We have a lot to cover. Patriots right now are really frustrated. A lot of us wondering what happened. We all watched the debacle on the election day, and now it's time to figure out where we go from here. We have a clip that summarizes this perfectly. About this, We have the worst inflation in four decades the worst collapse in real wages in 40 years, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. That is a searing indictment of the message that we have been sending to the voters. They looked at all of that and said, and looked at the Republican alternative and said, no, thanks. That is, that is a the Republican Party needs to do a really deep introspection look in the mirror right now because this is this is an absolute disaster. And the choir says, "Amen." There it is. I could not have summarized it better. We need to hear exactly what was said in that. Let's break it down by the numbers and what this really was. This was a kitchen table election and it was ours for the taking. What do we mean by kitchen table election? Mean that the economy hasn't been this bad since the 70s. Record historic inflation. Unbelievable. Wages are stagnant. We have filling up our gas tanks. We have an, a fuel shortage on the horizon. We have empty shelves everywhere. And yet, did people fill up their tanks, check their 401ks or grocery shop before we went to the polls? Doesn't look like it. Here's what we saw. We saw Obama, we saw the Clintons, we saw the Democrats bringing in their heavyweights for this midterm election. They brought out their big guns so that they could get all of the blue wave, which we'll call a toilet flush for all of purposes. But what did we have? We had an opportunity to really show some backbone and show the gusto and get on top of what the Republican Party can do and the values that Americans have overwhelmingly declared that they want to see in politics and in government, and it didn't happen. So if you listen to a lot of the establishment candidates, what happened? It's Trump's fault. If you listen to the grassroots, they don't like Republicans. Well, could probably be a little from column A, a little from column B, but then we've got the truth. So let's go to that. We also have a wide open border. Wide open, people still coming in, funneling in as we speak. We have an endless war going on in Europe right now that we are just bankrolling constantly. Again, I had mentioned if anybody wants to claim Ukraine is dependent on their taxes, now would be a good time to find out. So what I did see is I saw President Trump 
crisscrossing. I saw DeSantis and we saw Lee Zeldin and a lot of other ones stepping up for the cause. I didn't see a lot of the Republican brass doing the same. What I feel like I saw was what I call, and I have been calling on the campaign trail, a Rapunzel syndrome. What is a Rapunzel syndrome, Raven? The Rapunzel syndrome is sitting around and waiting for someone to come save us, waiting for somebody to do our job. I've always said that you pay for convenience. What does that mean? You pay for convenience when you eat out all the time, that's a convenience. You pay for it with your health and your weight. Convenience, taking your kids to public school, which we pay taxes for, but not being plugged in to what's going on in the school gives you indoctrination. It gives you an agenda being run on our children that most of us were unaware was even happening. That's convenience. It's a convenience fee that we can't afford. And not being mindful of our elections and who we elect and who we send to government, the convenience fee is what you're seeing right now, is the fact that we had an opportunity to regain control of the government and take our country back. And instead, we barely hung on to the House. We did not take back the Senate. And we still have President Mashed Potato Brains in the office. So that's where we are. And now, the only thing I can tell patriots is I'm still a shameless optimist. So the view from the floor is still pretty good because we're looking up, right? So we have places to go for this. But we need to understand. We need to understand what happened here. This was a catastrophic, systematic, and widespread failure of Republican leadership. We needed leadership. We needed heavyweights and we got paperweights. We got nothing. And that's what happened. This is not Trump's fault. This is not the fault of patriots. This is just an underscore that we have work to do. I've been saying this all along. It doesn't do any good to take back the house if you don't clean it first. We have rampant corruption and the same milquetoast Republicans who did nothing when we had all three branches when Trump was president are now pointing the finger everywhere except at themselves. So we have to take this down. So we're going to dissect it. We're going to tackle it and we're going to move forward with how do we fix this? Now that we've got the doom and gloom, where is the silver lining? Well, it's coming, but we have to be we have to be mindful of the fact that we still have work to do. I had said before the election that November 8th is not the end date. It is the start date. November 8th is the start and now we are moving forward with holding feet to the fire, accountability, transparency and cleaning house. We're going to clean house. We're going to get this right. We're going to restore the integrity and the faith that the American people have overwhelmingly said they've lost in us through all of this posturing, grandstanding, finger pointing, and backstabbing. It's time to get it right and we can. I'm going to bring on a special guest today to help us do just that. Rahim Kassam is the editor of National Pulse. He is a regular on the war room. And when we're going to war and we are at war, we need warriors. You have your conservative warrior, and now we have our war room regular. We're going to bring him on, and we're going to get to the bottom of this and go forward proudly.
Welcome back, Patriots. Well, as promised, we have a special treat for you today. We have Raheem Kassam here with us today, and he is going to be taking us through what is the political war room right now of what's going on, the scape of what's going on in our, our country, and he's with us now. Uh, Raheem, I am so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you for being with us. Well, I am so sorry it's under these circumstances whereby we, we really have very few good things to discuss. We've got a lot of bad things to discuss, but very few good things to discuss. Maybe at some point I'll come back on with some better news. Uh, I will consider that a date. So we're going <laughs> to definitely do that. So let's uh, dive right in. I want to, so for people who are just uh, tuning in, you are the editor of the National Pulse. You are a regular on the War Room. Tell uh, our patriots a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I, um, my political um, teeth were first cut in the United Kingdom. I worked for a while for the Conservative Party. I soon realized it was nothing, nothing close to being conservative. So I joined the uh, UK Independence Party, uh, worked uh, hand in hand with uh, Nigel Farage, the Brexit Party leader, uh, on the run up to uh, Brexit itself. And then after that, I uh, had the great pleasure of being asked to, to come over to the United States and offer some, uh, some political journey journalism and strategy over here uh, by uh, Steve Bannon and uh, a couple of others who we've worked with and for for the last several years. So I've been here since about 2016 now doing uh, news, investigative work, political analysis, strategy, so on and so forth. Um, and I look across back to, to Britain at the moment and I think to myself, God, I, I came over to the United States, you know, warning trying at least as hard as I could, clearly I failed, warning um, this country not to become like my home country. And, and every, with every day that passes and every dodgy election that you see, uh, I'm afraid it does look a lot more and more like, like uh, you know, serfdom in Europe than, than freedom in America. That's it. You are... <laughs> Woo, you are, are telling it there. And I, I lived in Manchester for quite a few years and it's a different scape entirely, but it's amazing how much it looks like. It looks like that now everywhere. So we're going to, let's dive right in, uh, Raheem, in looking at this. Uh, I can tell you right now, people wanna know, first of all, what happened. I gave a little bit of my intro about what I believe happened. What I believe is happening right now is the Dems are scheming for 2024 while we're doing a pity lap around here trying to figure out what happened. Tell the Patriots what happened on November 8th. Where was the red wave? Yeah, uh, uh, happily. Just before I do, you lived in Manchester in England, you said. I did. And would you count yourself a city or a United fan? A United fan. Yes, there you go. Okay, we can be friends. We're friends. Excellent. <laughs> now we <laughs> can proceed. For a second there, I was, I was nervous. Um, look, in fact, I, I, I recently came up with a column in my head that I thought I was going to write about the juxtaposition between uh, Manchester United's fortunes in the Premier League this season and the Conservative Party's fortunes in England for the last couple of years. And actually, I think we can probably lump the Republican Party into that comparison too. Now, for your audience, that will mean absolutely nothing. So, so I, don't, I don't think I, I got go it. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Manchester United, basically massive club, all the resources in the world, great players underperforming at every juncture. And, and that's because they just have not kept 
up to pace with all the changes in the you know the soccer the the game the technical changes in soccer the game over the last five years and that is exactly what's happening with the Republican Party they haven't kept up with the technical changes of elections in this country and and for for good reasons and bad right so so let's start there uh, the, the, yes the, te- let's start the technical right there. changes of course that came in during COVID uh, that we all objected to that actually the National Pulse were one of the first news outlets on the right uh, well anywhere frankly to talk about which was which was was the 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 work that the Amistad project did that Phil Klein did in digging up where a lot of the money was going from the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, how it was being plowed into Democrat districts all over the country, what it meant in practical terms for whose votes actually counted more as a result of it. You know, the, the left loves to play this game uh, as if as if the right is into voter suppression, when in reality. The left is is it has a has a voter suppression machine as equipped and well oiled as it has a a a you know mass uh, voter harvesting machine and I and, and and as somebody who comes from England where we've seen that time and time again with the Labour Party I can go into details on that but from a technical perspective our failure and I say our it's not really my failure I don't know why I should have you know try and carry the responsibility for this but I suppose you know we're all on the same team here um, our failure to either rescind or force the rescindment of those you know COVID rule changes they should have never happened in the first place by the way but we had them again at this election and our failure to rescind those is one part our failure if we weren't going to try and succeed to rescind them to actually play into them and utilize them and leverage them the same way the Democrat Party did is the second part of that so that's the technical elements of you know that this is the this is Raheem Kassam's Manchester United theory that, that okay you know, that, that I'm coming up with on the spot for you right here, by the way. Uh, but that is the technical problems. The second part, constituent part of this, uh, before we sat down for this conversation, I was just about to hit publish on a new Substack of mine. And the name of the Substack uh, headline is Nailed It. And I go through these two magazine articles that I wrote in August and September. I filed this dispatch from D.C. for a small English magazine called The Mallard every month. It's just it's just a startup. I like what they're doing, and so I want to support them. Um, so I file about 700 words for them every month. And in August, here's what I said, okay? Quote, In amongst the confusion of these mixed feelings of anxiety, despair, hopefulness, and celebration, there is also a bizarre amount of complacency on the right. But let me be clear, I do not like what I see. On average, the gap the Republican Party leads by on the generic ballot, i.e., will you vote Republican or Democrat in November's midterms, is shrinking fast. Quote, as I write, it is still August and the numbers are shrinking further for Republicans as corporate media outlets parrot pro-Biden lines about his Inflation Reduction Act. And let's go to September. Quote from September. Quote, meanwhile, I remain bearish about the Republican Party's fortunes in the months to come. The House, sure, they can take it. The Senate, I'm not so sure. End quote. Now, there weren't a lot of people out there saying these things at the time, but the complacency factor and the expectation management factor was was one of the largest problems that the right faced. And and right now, Raven, I, I, I think my operating perspective is that this was done on purpose, that this was yes. done on purpose by the McLeadership, that's that's McDaniel, McCarthy, and McConnell, of the Republican Party, so that they, they thought they could just creep over the line, but then they at least had something to turn on President Trump with and say, ah, you, 
you are the reason that there was no big red wave and you have to be gone now and we will choose you know what kind of more moderate republican establishment figure uh, that we will want to replace you on stage with uh, for the next presidential election glenn youngkin or somebody similar to that so so the complacency and the expectation management and whether you believe or not that it was intentional that they were misleading us intentionally here or it was just stupidity and complacency it doesn't matter that that I was agree. a big part of it as well and that happened as well. Go and ahead. you hit on something really important that I wanted to touch on. It just sounds better when you do it. <laughs> but what I wanted to touch on was this is the essence of, you know, Trump has not been in office for two years. And it still, it amazes me when the Democrats blame him for what they're doing. But it disgusts me when the Republicans do that of saying, well, he only spent 15% of his war chest on candidates. Well, how much did you guys spend? I'll wait. But what I want to hear, you, you've seen a lot of people come out, Raheem, since them, a few notables that have come out. And the first thing they did is said, you know, attack Trump and said, this is his fault. This is because he doesn't have the gravitas that he has. And the people are wanting a change. And I want you to weigh in on this because my the, the, the depth of the loyalty of people who do that is incredibly ridiculous, non-existent, in my opinion, of just going, this is, again, the Rapunzel syndrome that I talk about, where everybody is waiting for somebody to carry them, and then they're waiting to point the fingers and, and burn them at the stake. And I do not, I am a Trump gal. I love President Trump. And that is my perspective on this of everybody, but your perspective on everybody blaming Donald Trump for their leadership failure to produce and that this is a rejection of Trump and not a rejection of the milk toast leadership we have in there right now. Yeah. So this is what I, and by the way, for the people skeptically listening and saying like, oh, you know, but you know, we can't treat him as somebody who does no wrong. Nobody treats him like that. Okay. No. We're, we're very honest and open when we think that Correct. President Trump is doing things incorrect, like the vaccine stuff, right? And like the Fauci stuff. I'm very happy Correct. when I think President Trump has made the wrong decisions to say so. But, but it's, it's an absolute nonsense and it's a lie and it's a fraud and it's a con that starts here on Capitol Hill to blame him for this midterm cycle. And, and this is why I mentioned what I mentioned in the last segment as well. They're all Almost appears to be, almost, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a certain, but there almost appears to be an inverse relationship between the people who are running up and down the aisles screaming red wave, red wave before the election and the people who are immediate to turn against President Trump after the thing, right? There is an almost inverse correlation between those two people in the sense that, you, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. And let's Come talk on. about not being able to have it both ways. The NRSC, the National Republican Senate Committee, right? And the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, and the RNC, the Republican National Committee, here, about 30 seconds from where I sit on foot, right? They send you all of these text messages, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, are you going to abandon Donald Trump? He feels abandoned. You have to text this number. Give him $5 or he hates you. He's coming around to your house. And he's going to poop on your doorstep. You know, all this nonsense. <laughs> That they say, but they send such abject nonsense to people to force money out of them. And the worst thing about it is it works. Like, unfortunately, those are the types of text messages, especially the older audience, they actually do respond to, sadly. Well, but I'm telling they, you, I would rather that, <laughs> Raheem, they, than the ones I got from Beto. Can I count on you? And I have to keep this clean <laughs> for the beep. By the way, by the way. 
these weren't you weren't on any mailing list. Those were actually from Beto. <laughs> he was yeah. he was just texting you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, he showed up at one of my rallies. I, I I'm sure that our our our, our date period is over. <laughs> if there ever was such a thing. Ugh. So, so. so let me go back to this point about the NRSC, the NRCC, and the text messages and all that. Firstly, they grift off Trump's name and his image, right? They have Trump's face yes. on everything, every email, every text message, every ad on, on your, you know, Google ads, Facebook ads, everything, right? They throw this money at big tech, into big tech's pockets while they do it, by the way. Um, and then they turn around to him and they say, oh, even though we've raised hundreds of millions of dollars off you and your name and your face, we want you to spend your money from your presidential campaign war chest on our candidates and our races. And by the way, that doesn't even include the ability for Trump to say, okay, well, if I'm spending the money, then my team gets to dictate how the money is spent. No, 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 no. Tom Emmer gets to, you know, the head of the NRCC gets to dictate how the money is spent. And when Tom Emmer decides this this race in Ohio shouldn't be supported, despite the candidate being Trump endorsed, then that's what happens. And they want Trump to give his money to that. Again, you cannot have it both ways. So there is just another clear example, by the way, of how utterly disingenuous these this blame game against Donald Trump is. Now, again, to come back to my, my, my point earlier, when Trump does something that I think is Silly, I'm going to call it out. So I'll call it out. Yes. Dr. Oz was never a good candidate. Okay. I, I tried and I screamed to high heaven about how that was not going to work. But people thought, okay, well, because it was John Fetterman. And you see, I'm wearing a hoodie today in, in, uh, in deference. I was almost there. That means you're going to run for Senate. That's what the rules That's say, right? right? Yes. No, I think, I think it means I should be allowed just to... to be in the Senate without even actually running properly, because that's what John Fetterman did. You know, he didn't run a proper campaign. And and we'll get to a lot of the, the cheat that's been going on in places like Pennsylvania, in places like Nevada, in places like Arizona in just a second. But, but, but it's important to say can... that hoodie lives matter. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, we, you and I, we will take the knee together and <laughs> in deference to John Fetterman. <laughs> But 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 you know what I do? You see what I mean here? Like we can be honest yes. about all of these things. Yes. But at the end of the day, and, and nobody, nobody serious thought that Walker was going to beat Warnock first time around. We always knew, especially because of the libertarian vote in that race, this, this was likely to go to a runoff. So again, right. pointing the finger at Donald Trump for that is just is just it, it tells you who the bad actors are. And I think one of these things that Trump is doing at the moment in attacking his presumptive opponents in the presidential primary is luring out the people that he yes. really knows are going to turn on him eventually. So they may as well turn on him now. He didn't. And I mean, he wanted to drain the swamp and didn't fully drain it, but he got it low enough so that we can see the creatures that reside in it. That's where we are. But you are 100 percent right. I wasn't you know, uh, a big fan. I just felt like Fetterman, the alternative. Oh my goodness gracious. That is painful. I mean, nails on the chalkboard, painful to watch what's going on, what Pennsylvania did with their, with their vote. But that's, that's an important thing. It, it is always, it always seems to be Trump's fault. Republican leadership does not want to take any responsibility for what they do. They have used and abused him time and time again. And he did carry a lot of things. I will call out if I feel like he's doing something wrong. Sure. People are like, well, you're in a cult. Why is it when we like somebody and we support our president, 
whether even though he's flawed, that makes us a cult. But if they like Fetterman and he can't communicate and they like Biden and he is the poster child for useless people, um, then that's not a cult. That's different. It's just different when you're crazy, I guess. But that's that's an important thing of going. So now having said that, I want to also get your perspective because we know I'm I'm military. My parents are military, so military raised brat. And the one fundamental rule of any kind of war is you can't have a war on two fronts. And I mm. feel like what is shaping up now is while we're doing our pity lap, the Dems are already plotting on how they're going to do this again in 24. The other thing is war on two fronts. So we are already very divided as a country. Uh because of what's been happening. Now they want to divide us further. We, we have now they're creating a war between DeSantis and Trump to, to divide us further. We cannot fall for that. It's not going to work if we divide, if the country's divided in half, and then we're going to divide that half into DeSantis and Trump. DeSantis is a fabulous governor, fabulous. And he's just been elected governor. This is to me a, a Trump uh, a Trump scenario. What are your thoughts on that, Raheem? Yeah, look, I I know the prevailing consensus, especially military consensus, and 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 it has been you know played out for centuries and centuries now is that is that you cannot fight a war on two fronts. There have been some successful wars on two fronts, by the way. It's it's a very very small number, and you have to have a very specific uh, time and a place for those things. And and I I either feel one of these two things. I feel like we either have to choose that the war that the front that we want to fight on right now is our own, right? Is within the conservative movement, and it's not like it's the choice of MAGA people, we are being drawn into that war by the people who turned on Trump immediately, by the leadership who are pointing the fingers, right? All of that is, is, is fundamentally true. So either we are reallocating resources and fighting this front right now, or we are going to have to fight a war on two fronts. And the second part of your question is, is, is interesting to me because you know, for the last year, I have I've pretty quietly watched. I did do a podcast about it in January, but I've pretty quietly watched, you know, Ron DeSantis surrogates and, and friends of and donors of going around the conservative scene and leaking to Politico and leaking to Fox News and all of this, talking about how Trump wouldn't make a good candidate next time around. And again, this isn't necessarily to say that this is done with Ron DeSantis's blessing, but it's at least people within his immediate vicinity that have been doing it. And so, you know, as soon as Trump came out with these attacks on him, I actually felt an immediate sympathy for Donald Trump. I thought to myself, well, listen, if I know this is going on, then he knows it's going on. And if he knows it's been going on for a year and we know what we know about Donald Trump, then it's actually taken him, you know, a mighty big, uh, uh, you know, amount of tongue uh, biting to, to 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 wait 11 months while all of this has been going on. I mean, it may have even been more than that. About January is the first time I really got a w wind of it. Um, but he's held his tongue for quite a long time. And, and for people to turn around to him and say, well, look, you know, we like Ron DeSantis. And by the way, I like Ron DeSantis too. For the record, I was one of the first people, I think, who ever told him that he should run for president one day. It was on an interview I did with him back in 2015. Um, and I like Ron DeSantis. And uh, I don't think we should be tearing down Ron DeSantis. But for Trump to have to endure attacks on him, whether they are overt or covert, 
and not fight back, I think is, I think, you know, if you, if you think that Donald Trump's going to do that, then you don't know Donald Trump. You haven't been paying attention. (laughs) Yes, that's not how it works. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I'm actually a lot like that. It's the, it's the Native American, Raheem, I can tell you right now, it's just some part of me is always at war. We, we fight back, but I want to, I want to wrap up because you have given us so much information and it's good. <laughs> it's it's objective. Can you give us a quick lightning round of, I, I'm always about, you know, verbs in my sentences. What mm. can we do? What do we need to do? How do we need to get this right going into 24? And we'll, we'll get ready to close on that. Well, look, I appreciate the uh, comment about objectivity. I want people to know that, you know, I don't make money from taking sides in this. I don't make clout from taking sides in this. This is this is just, you know, my analysis. If you like it, great. If you don't, doesn't bother me, right? Like that's not, that's that's up to you, the audience. Um, and it's up to you, the audience, to make the difference, which is, which is your final question, right? The, the difference is going to be made the same way that differences are made across the board, right? You have to identify uh, the right people, the right organizations to support. You have to like, up the phones of people like Kevin McCarthy, of people like Tom Emmer. You have to be able to uh, wholeheartedly withdraw and withhold your dollars, by the way, before elections, if you don't think the money is going to be spent in the right places. And that may mean that some elections are lost, but they're not going to learn those lessons, you know, if they still get to spend all of your money on their buddies who are lawyers, on their buddies who are PR people, on their buddies who are ad sales consultants and so on and so forth, because they just get rich. And they don't care if they lose either way, right? So so you have to be judicious about those sorts of things too. The other part of it is, I mean, I know this is a country of 350 odd million people, but I cannot stress to you, again, we're, we're back to Manchester United, right back to where we started. Come I on. cannot stress to you how thin the substitutes benches on the political right. I cannot stress that enough. If you for a second, ladies and gentlemen, think I could do that better, do it, do it. You, you, you know, by no means you should you let somebody dissuade you. Oh, politics is hard. It's nasty. Yeah, whatever. You know, so are Thanksgiving dinners sometimes. So but, is life. But, if, but, you know, but if you believe that you could do better, then you should do better. Because I can guarantee you that the average person listening to this show and watching this show can do a whole lot better than the people out over at the RNC behind me. That is, woo, that is the nuke. Amen. Where can people find you, Raheem, if they want to follow your stories? You've been writing on this and uh, at the National Puzz. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so the nationalpulse.com, we do a lot of the news and the analysis over there. RaheemKassam.com is my substack where I do a little bit more informal stuff uh, that can range from anything from, you know, I think I've written poetry about QR codes <laughs> right down to, you know, hard, hardcore analysis of, of polling data um, and things like that. And um, also we uh, are across all the social media platforms, whether it's Getter or Gab or Truth Social or Twitter or Facebook, Raheem Kassam and the National Pulse are everywhere. Fantastic. It has absolutely been a pleasure, Raheem, to have you on the show. I mean, truly, I, I love things that get us awake and going. But I have to ask you, the, the one question I forgot to ask that is on yeah. everybody's mind right now is, did you get hammered at 2 a.m. in your underwear? When? <laughs> you have to be more specific. Did you get that? in a hammer fight at 2 a.m. in your underwear? That's what everybody wants to know, because that's <laughs> always Republicans' fault. Yes, yes, that is what I did. Um, I, I te- that, that, that's an ordinary Friday night for me. So, I, you know, 
for Nancy Pelosi, I feel bad for her. There wasn't the level of we're back to Manchester United. There wasn't the requisite level of experience there. I'm very experienced. That you can't put Manchester United with that. We have to call foul <laughs> on that flag. Where's the flag? So, uh, Raheem, it's been absolutely a pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow, what a, an honor and a treat to have Raheem Kassam on the show today, War Room. Just wanted to encourage patriots. This is where we are right now. I am encouraging everyone who's listening. This is not the time for a pity lap. This is not the time for the finger pointing. This is the time to reorganize, take what we've learned, and move forward full steam. And we're going to be doing that on future episodes of Raven's Radar. I also want to announce I've got my book coming out, Raven's Mantle, Fighting the betrayal of America. It's it's a monster, guys. It's not just because it's my story. It's uh, the Vegas massacre. It's parents in the Pentagon, 9-11. We've got a lot of stuff to, care, to, to cover and just so happens I've been on the front lines of this. But be encouraged, patriots, that we were made for a time such as this. We were made to deal with the challenge we face right now. If you wanna know what you would have done in 1776, we're finding out right now. You wanna know what you would have done in Jesus's time, we're finding out right now. Don't get complacent, we have to get this. It is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we can do it, we will be victorious. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Raven's Radar. If you'd like to reach me, you can find me at ravenharrison.com and on all social medias as Raven Harrison, the conservative warrior. We look forward to seeing you next time.